Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. Another crazy week. We can't get away from them. Do you remember when you could sit down in front of your radio to listen or your television set to watch, and you had a mixture of all kinds of events around the world? Nothing desperate, nothing surrounding one person. Today, everything is Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. And as much as I try to exclude him from my shows, you can't. But I pick up something here or something there that I think people would be interested in. Items that would be major news items were it not for Donald Trump. So we're going to go around the world a little bit today. Tonight we're going to go to Augusta National Golf Club, the Philippines, Liberty University, Lincoln Memorial, Washington, Connecticut, Hollywood, Key West, and London. And we're going to start with the Masters Golf Tournament. Uh, The Masters is one of four uh, majors in golf. Uh, Prestigious, the big. It's the Final Four in college basketball. It's Super Bowl. It's the World Series, okay? It's the tops. And every golfer hopes to win at least one Super One uh, golf major. The Masters begins this week on Thursday. And an issue has arisen, which has been resolved already, but it's something different. It involves John Daly. Remember John Daly? He's still around. He plays golf. He's a big, heavy-set, blonde guy. He had trouble early on with booze and drugs. Now he's sort of straightened out. But uh, and he, when he plays well, he plays very well. But he's gotten older. He's over 50. He plays now in the senior circuit also. And he's got a physical problem. Uh, he can't walk more than six holes. His left knee He has a terrible arthritis problem. His meniscus has also been removed. He can't make 18 holes. Uh, He's been playing the senior circuit in a golf cart, from a golf cart. Absolutely a no-no. Remember back around 98 and 2002 or 12, uh, a fellow by the name of Casey Martin who couldn't walk, got permission to ride in a golf cart when he played. And he played two U.S. Opens in those two years. Well, and John Daly also happened to win this Masters, by the way, at one time many years ago. So he has a lifetime exemption to play. Anyhow, he goes to the PGA officials, and he has obtained permission to ride around on a golf cart instead of walking without a roof. Okay, he's going to be subjected to the sun, but not with his feet hitting the ground other than to hit a ball and to putt. Well... Tiger Woods was asked about this, and his comment was, and I quote, I walked with a broken leg, so. I walked with a broken leg, so. Remember the 2008 U.S. Open, Torrey Pines? Tiger Woods won. 18-hole playoff, and he won. He beat Rocco Mediate. It was a hell of a tournament. Somewhere along the line, while he was playing, One of his bones in his leg broke, and he had a painful, hard time. No one knew it. He kept it quiet. He finished it. He went into the 18-hole playoff the next day, played with pain, and won the tournament. So can you understand what Tiger Woods said? He's not saying in a mean fashion. I played with a broken leg. What the hell's his problem? But anyhow, you're going to see him riding around uh, during the Masters, 
I don't think it's right either. I think physically we all reach a point in our lives where, where it's no more. You can't do certain things. I'm 83. I can't do a hell of a lot of things. And you might just accept it. You go on with that stage of your life because every stage has other things you can do and enjoy. So I think it's wrong to permitting him to play. It gives him a distinct advantage. He will be less tired if he's riding instead of walking. That's not correct. It it, it, it takes the levity, not the levity, but the even field uh, situation or posture away from the game. Now we're going to the Philippines. The Philippines uh, has as their president, Rodrigo Duarte. Now, you have to appreciate, we have, we, we have more and more despots in this world. We have more and more dictators or would-be dictators. We have more and more uh, authoritarians. We have more and more Donald Trumps. Donald Trump wants to be a Putin. He wants to be Jung. Uh, Kim Jong-un, he wants to be uh, Chai from China. He wants to be the president of Turkey. Uh, He wants to be all the bad guys, just like them. And you can't be. We aren't that way. We, as Americans, have always been opposed to what these people do and believe in. But not Donald. He wants to walk with the big guys. It's like being part of the mafia in the old days. He wanted to sit at the table, be, be somebody at the big table, have his own territory and so forth. In any event, he has pretty much dominated the scene. Uh, to show you how tough he is, when he took office a few years ago, he was deadly opposed to drugs, which were a big problem in the Philippines. No problem. He issued a law. Anyone seen using drugs, carrying drugs in any fashion, even smoking a joint, shot on the spot. Killed on the spot. He's pretty much eliminated the drug problem in the Philippines. I'm laughing. It's not right, but that's how he corrected the problem. That's the kind of man he is. I am the president. We do it my way. So he had an election a few days ago in the Philippines. He himself did not run. It was one of those between-year elections where the president doesn't run, but his Congress, so to speak. The Senate was running. Now, the Senate has been a thorn in his side. Uh, you know, it's like uh, Trump now has the House of Representatives in, in his side, a thorn in his side. And their, their Senate is only made up of 24 people, and a good handful of them, more than half, were anti-Duarte. And they were always giving him a hard time, passing laws, which he vetoed. Nothing ever got past him, but they were a thorn in his side. Well, only 24 members in the Senate. This year, 12 had to run under their system of law. It was a referendum on Duarte, though. This is how it was presented to the public. All 12 of these people who ran had been opposed all the time against Duarte. And guess what? All 12 lost. Duarte's people beat all 12. Duarte no longer is going to have a problem with the Senate in the Philippines. It's all his. The Senate got rid, this election, got rid of his problem. Now, Trump would probably like something like that. Let's vote the Democrats out who just got in our thorn in his side, and hopefully will be a bigger thorn. But that's what happened over there. And I just can't understand why these countries go this way. 
And I can't understand especially why our beloved United States is turning this way. Why almost half of our people unabashedly believe in Donald Trump. It does not make sense to me. Okay, now I want to talk about Donald, about uh, Pence, our Vice President Pence. Uh, he spoke on Saturday at Liberty University. He was the commencement speaker. Liberty University is a conservative uh, religious school, very conservative, uh, evangelical, far to the right. And he said something that just doesn't make sense to me. And here's what he says, and I quote, um, Pence, Eric, Pence is Pence. Okay, he was Pence is. Let me say this first. Pence is copying the NRA pitch. Okay, and here's how it goes. One says that they quote unquote are coming for your guns. The NRA says they're coming for your guns. The other that they in quotes are coming for your religion. Both are selling fear and paranoia. First, they're coming for your guns. Now Pence says they're going to come for your religion because of your religion. You're going to be attacked. You're going to have to defend. You're going to have to fight. Where's this happening? Nobody's going after these people because they may be evangelical. They're non-Catholic. They're non-Jewish. It's stupid. It doesn't make sense. It's a lie. I'll call it fake news, false news. What what do these people have in mind? Now, Pence is a radical evangelical. Uh, I can report, he's just fanatical, and he's got the sex thing in his mind. I can remember I read several months ago, and I talked about it on this show, I believe. Uh, he was at a um, religious breakfast, communion breakfast of some sort, uh, tables of eight or ten. He got there first. And there was a woman sitting, Kate got there second, there was a woman sitting at the table. He would not sit at that table until another man was seated there. He also saw on the table, they were having pancakes as well as eggs, a little plastic jar with honey. And the jar was a nude woman, like three or four inches high, a nude woman, boobs, everything. He told the waiter to take that off the table and not to put it back on. While he's having breakfast, he's having pancakes. <laughs> he wants the honey. He calls the waiter over, and he says, I don't want to touch it, but you please pick that jar up. Bring it back. You pour it on my, on my breakfast. The man's a religious fanatic. He's a nut, and if Trump goes, he's going to replace him. We're not going to be any better off. I don't know where the Republicans came up with these with these two people. In any event, that's what's happening. He's telling these people, and they're going to start believing him. Trump pretty soon will start telling the evangelicals, they're going to come after you religiously. Don't let them do it. Defend yourself. Don't take it. They want to destroy you. This bothers me, what I'm going to share with you now. July 4th is our happy birthday day. It's a big celebration in our country. You know, two, over 200 years ago, we became an independent nation. Uh, and we're all proud of it. And we're proud of what we accomplished up to this point. And hopefully we will not lose all of it. Uh, on the 4th of July in the evening, 
an event is held every year for I don't know how many years on the mall in front of the Capitol in Washington. You have a symphonic band. You have hundreds of thousands of people there watching and listening. The fireworks go off with the symphonic band playing big-time music. It's, it's Boy, what a show. I love it. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Anyhow, and it's been there forever, like, okay? Trump did not attend last year. Don't ask me why. Some presidents, a lot of them have attended. He didn't go. Why he didn't go, I don't know. He's a great American. He didn't go. Well, he wants to go this year. But yesterday he announced he's going to change the way the event has been held all these years, okay? To celebrate our birthday, he wants to move it from the mall in front of the Capitol to the Lincoln Memorial. And that's it's beautiful. I mean, if, you haven't, if you've been to Washington, you've got to go see these memorials, Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, a magnificent move you. Emotional, very emotional day. And he, because he wants to stand in front of the majestic seated statue of Abraham Lincoln and make a speech. He wants to talk standing in front of that beautiful, beautiful piece of masonry that is Abraham Lincoln sitting in his strength, his majesty, everything. He wants to stand in front of him and give a speech. This guy really knows how. He's a producer. He's a director. He's setting this thing up to make himself look terrific. And he wants to move the whole show over there. Now, whether it's going to happen, I don't know. He said he is handling the, he has effectively taken charge, quote, unquote, effectively taken charge of planning for the the celebration. And uh, I don't like it. For a number of reasons. One is, it's wrong for him to stand in front of Abraham Lincoln. Because I'm going to tell you, Trump, a Lincoln, he is not. Trump, a Lincoln, he is not. The other thing is, July 4th should be a time to remember what binds us, what ties us together as a country, not exploit what divides us, that which ties us together. That's what it's about, not which divides us. And that's what he's doing. Dana Milbank, Dana Milbank, uh, big-time national reporter, Washington Post, uh, recently did an opinion piece in the Washington Post. And I'm going to quote it to you because it's disparaging of the president. Uh and in two simple sentences, it says it all. It's not hard to understand. He wrote, and I quote, Trump is the best thing since sliced bread. That's the first sentence. Trump is the best thing since sliced bread. Second sentence now. And he invented sliced bread. <laughs> Trump is the best thing since sliced bread. And he invented sliced bread. And don't you think Donald wouldn't tell us? In situations like this, and I invented sliced bread. That's Donald Trump. That's our president. I am very disappointed. I am very unhappy in what is happening in the area of the law in Washington. Attorney General Barr is a disgrace to the Bar Association. Uh, I'm 83. I practiced law for 46 years. I was proud of him. Uh, 
um, how I conducted myself as a lawyer. There's certain things you do and certain things you don't do, and you don't have to be told what they are. You know where that line is you shouldn't cross in life. And in my retirement, I'm proud that people will occasionally say, oh, you were an attorney, or uh, you told me once, or somebody told me you practice law, what kind of law did you practice, and all this. It's, it's a very personal and proud thing. Now, he has, in what, six weeks, he's become Donald Trump's mouthpiece. I hate that term, but it's the only way to describe him. He's Donald Trump's uh, mouthpiece, as Roy Cohen was back many years ago. And they're fighting everything. And Barr, what he did with the Mueller report is a disgrace, and that's going to get worse for Barr. Uh, He has suggested along the way the last couple of times he was before a congressional committee uh, that he thought that how the Russian investigation, Trump and the Russian investigation, how it got started in 2016 should be investigated. The term he used was spied on, spied. Well, no one took him seriously. It was announced yesterday, okay, that Attorney General Barr has designated U.S. Attorney John H. Durham, he's the U.S. Attorney for Connecticut, uh, to investigate how the Russian investigation began, how this hacking thing came to be, where the information came from that tied it into uh, Trump and so forth. Now, what's happening here? A couple of things I want to share with you. This designation of Durham, this appointment of Durham, was not made yesterday, was not made three days ago. It was made one month ago. Now, we're always talking about transparency, both sides of the aisle. Where the hell's the transparency here? Why were the American people, why did they have to wait a whole month to hear somebody was already investigating this. Why the secret? That's how Trump operates. He who yells for transparency, he speaks with a forked tongue. The other thing is, in effect, what is he doing? He's seeking to criminalize, criminalize, put in jail his political opponents, okay? We don't do that in this country. You, you run, you lose, you win. You forget about the guy who almost knocked you off or had the audacity to run against you or for whatever he said. That's politics. Who lied more during the campaign than Donald Trump? But I'm assuming that everything in the re- – this thing's already been investigated, by the way, by two different organizations that found no, no improper conduct on the part of the FBI or anyone else and how this investigation of Trump and the Russians started. You don't in this country. It makes us special. We don't put our opponents in jail when we beat them. The other thing, it's simply, and it's obvious, an abuse of power. It's an abuse of presidential power. It's an abuse of the attorney general's power. Absolutely, totally wrong. This is not the. This does not represent. Not only the best of America, it does not represent America at all. Sad day yesterday. A very famous person died. Now, I got a little bit of a problem here. Again, I got to talk. I'm 83 years old, and occasionally I will tell someone like John, the bartender at the chart room, who's 41, great guy. When you're in Key West, come meet him. Great guy. 
uh, about a movie I saw yesterday, because I love old movies, and so-and-so was in it. He'll look at me with a blank face. He never knows these, knows who these major stars are whose names I am presenting. You know, and I can understand it's a different world. Uh, you know, I'm twice his age. And he just, he knows today's stars, but he doesn't know them from 40 years ago. Understandable. I probably didn't either. But Doris Day died. Doris Day, that beautiful, loving woman at the age of 97. Doris Day was a major, major, major film star in the 50s and the 60s, also a singer. She was always wholesome in appearance, beautiful, wholesome, clean. She was the best of everything. Uh, I don't think she ever... She, she just was clean. That's the only way to describe her also. And I'm, I'm going to share with you some of her movies. And a lot of her movies were tied into famous songs. She did Pillow Talk, Love Her Come Back, and Send Me No Flowers with Rock Hudson. She always had the best leading men. She did Move Over and The Thrill of It All with James Gardner. She did Touch of Mink with Cary Grant. And some of her other movies were, and I share them with you because of the titles again, On Moonlight Bay, Pajama Game, By the Light of the Silvery Moon, Young Man with a Horn, Tea for Two, uh, Teacher's Pet, Young at Heart, April in Paris, I'll See You in My Dreams, and The Lullaby of Broadway. May her soul rest in peace. She gave me so much pleasure. I even enjoy her movies today, and I'm, I'm going to enjoy watching her reruns till the day I die. Where are we now? Oh, I am in Key West. We're going to talk about Ernest Hemingway for a moment. We love Ernest Hemingway. I mean, we love Harry Truman, Ernest Hemingway, and uh, Williams. Uh Love them. These people represent, at certain times, certain eras, Key West. Now, Hemingway lived in Key West for 11 years, during the 30s, during the time of the Depression. And I want to share with you the work he did here. Besides drinking, fishing, fighting, he used to fight in rings here with boxing gloves. He loved doing that. Uh, Carousing. He lived, this guy. He was a wild man. But he worked. He used to work in the morning, as I understand. He worked from whatever time, 7 to 11 or something like that. And he hand-wrote everything. They didn't have computers. They probably had typewriters. I'm not sure. Some sort. But he hand-wrote everything on a pad. Uh, And here are some of his writings that he wrote or worked on in those 11 years in Key West. A Farewell to Arms, Death in the Afternoon, For Whom the Bell Tolls, The Snows of Kilimanjaro, The Short Happy Life of Francis McCumber. Now, Hemingway, in all his writings, never had a scene or a sight for, for whatever he was talking about or having his, the people he had created chat, wherever they were seated, what they were doing, any place in the United States. They were always in Europe because he spent a lot of time in Europe. He loved Europe, except for one book, okay? And that was to have and have not. He didn't work on it here, but when he did write it, to have and have not, another famous book by Hemingway, he used 
the Depression Era Key West. Depression Era Key West is one of the locales in To Have and To Have Not. And again, it was his only work with scenes that had occurred in the United States or from the United States. Now we're going to go to England. It's uh, sometime around this day in 1940. Winston Churchill is in Parliament. He has been designated, voted in as Prime Minister. Now, the politicians on either side did not want him. No one liked Winston Churchill. He had been a mouthy pain in the ass for 20 or 25 years, and he just wasn't liked. He was a troublesome sort. And, but they were desperate. Uh, the Germans were bombing London every night. Invasion was imminent. They didn't know what to do, so they passed the buck to the mean guy and said, let him take the fall for what's going to happen. Well, he got up before Parliament, and in his, in his acceptance speech, he said that his new policy, his policy, would consist of nothing else than, and I quote, he writes beautifully. That's why I'm sharing this with you. He had a play with words. To wage war by sea, land, and air with all our might and with all the strength that God can give us. To wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. Victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. Great verbiage, great writing, and he did this throughout the entire war. And he got he he roused his people. I won't say rebel roused, but he roused his people with his words. And in the end, they won. Got to give the guy credit. Now we have this problem with these these two Saudi Arabian oil tankers that got were bombed or hit with drones in the last couple of days in the Persian Gulf. Uh Trump's all upset, you know, because Saudi Arabians are his friends, and he says Iran did it. <laughs> we, no one has proven yet that Iran did this. Iran hasn't taken credit either, but he blames it in Iran. Remember, he loves Saudi Arabia. Uh, he wants to go to war with Iran. He and John Bolton want to go. He said yesterday when he heard about this, and I quote, a bad problem. And he said, and I quote, Various danger, very dangerous game the Iranians are playing. Uh, he's playing with fire. Donald Trump's playing with fire. He's listening to the warmonger John Bolton. I don't know how the hell he ever took him on. Presidents have avoided working with John Bolton for many years. He's a warmonger, John Bolton. All he wants to do is go to war, war, war. Uh, and now today, Trump says, well, it was announced today that the United States is prepared to send 120,000 troops to wage this war with Iran. When Trump was asked, as he was getting on a plane today to go somewhere uh, by a reporter, is this true? He says, I haven't heard about it. He's lying, I'm sure. And he also said, but you never know. Everything's on the table. So we don't belong in Iran. They made a deal with us. They, we broke the deal. Now they're going to break the deal after how many months that we broke it. And I can't blame them. 
I think people believe that the uh, Iranians live in tents and they ride camels. They are a progressive, modern city, just like our communities are. Uh, they've got their New York cities and everything else. They're, they're big. They're educated. They're behind the times when it comes to certain activities. They're anti-female and things like that because of their religion, they're Muslims. But uh, we don't want a war with them. But the Saudis want a war with them because the Saudis want to be the big Muslim nation in the Midwest, the big Muslim nation in the Midwest. The Saudis want to be it. And Iran seems to have the edge on them all the time when the two are discussed. Then there's Israel. For the last several years, Netanyahu, he's another warmonger. This guy changed over the years. He keeps saying we got to invade Iran. They're the biggest danger in the Mideast. They've got to go. And he wants to go and fight them. And why does he want to go and kill them? Because then Israel will be the strongest military force in the Mideast. The Saudis will be the biggest Muslim nation population-wise. The Saudi and the uh, Israelis will be uh, the biggest military force. They're both the Saudis and the Israelis are uh, Trump's friends, and he's leaning their way, and it scares the hell out of me and should scare the hell out of you because a war any place in this world today is a war in the United States. Our cities hit with missiles, our people killed. Never forget that. Anyhow, that's the show for this week. Uh, I appreciate you joining me again. Keep joining me. I love those numbers. And you must be telling your friends to listen because the numbers keep going up. Uh, I try to present a, a good show. I work at it. And I, ho I know you're enjoying it, obviously, by those who listen in. Uh, keep doing it. And I'll be with you again next week. <laughs>